It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Save thousands across the range for the new year. Hello, good afternoon. This is Ken Murray and welcome to the late lunch here on LMFM. First of all, Jerry Kelly is out sick, so you have me for the next two hours. So, Jerry, if you're listening, get well soon. I'm sure the fish in the northeast will sleep well tonight, knowing that you are housebound for the next day or so. Anyway, coming up on the programme, we'll be hearing about the Guck Guffa Documentary Film Festival, which gets underway in Kells next week. We'll be talking to Nadine McCarthy, who'll be discussing a global programme that encourages people to tap into their leadership abilities. English author Laura Ellen Anderson will be popping in to talk about her new book, which is called Amelia Fang and the Lost Yeti Treasures. Councillor Sharon Kogan will be joining us to talk about a new daffodil bulb initiative in County Meath, which will ultimately raise funds for the Irish Cancer Society. Leon Blanche of Boyle Sports will be with us to tell us what's... uh what's drawing all the big bets in sport this weekend. And if you're a Liverpool FC fan, I'll be talking to Jerry Hannigan from Dunboyne about a special recording of You'll Never Walk Alone in support of Sean Cox. Sean, as you know, is recovering after a vicious assault outside Anfield in April last year. So it's all coming up here on The Late Lunch, right here on LMFM. Well, to kick us off on this uh, Friday afternoon, next weekend is a big weekend in Kells because the 13th Gotha International Documentary Film Festival uh, takes place in the town. And this event attracts uh, people who are in the independent documentary production sector from all across the globe. And to discuss it further, I'm joined in studio by uh, organiser David Rain. David, thanks for coming in. Uh, Gotha, if somebody was to stop you on the street and says, Gotha, what's it all about? Oh, well... Ken, thank you very much for having me in today. Um, Gugafa is a film festival that was set up 12, 13 years ago in, in Donegal, and we, we focus on social and environmental issues in our films. Gugafa itself is Gaelic. It means captive voice. Um, but we also have a much broader spread of films. We show films that are entertaining, films for children. And I love your point that this is for the independent film sector, but of course it's really for the audience. Gugafa has always been about showing films to rural audiences who would not get a chance to see these films anywhere. These films are top top-class films that have premiered at the best film festivals around the world. But because so many documentaries are made, so few of them ever get onto either our cinemas or television screens. So we show absolutely the best. And what we try to do is bring as many people who've worked on those films to share their stories. Because Gugafa's films are all about really great storytelling. So we'll bring directors of films, sometimes the subjects of the films, people who are in the films, to talk about their life experience, what happened to them during the film. Why have you, if you like, chosen Kells to be the host venue for this international film festival? Because one might say, well, look, if you held this in Dublin, you get all the independent movie people in Dublin to pop down and uh, pop in and have a look. And you can also get the media coverage that goes with it. Is it that uh, this is an opportunity to bring people to Kells who mightn't visit Kells otherwise? Yeah, partly. When NASA Nikinon, who's a, my partner and a film director, we we both make documentaries. We lived in Donegal, and 
we had two children there and we so that was our home and we thought we wanted to bring the best documentary makers we wanted to meet them so why not have a, a small festival to do that and it grew and grew and it got to a point where there were uh, 2,000 people coming over a weekend and then Nasser and I moved to Kells to make a film that did very well thankfully internationally called School Life that was about Headford School So And, and can I interrupt you there yeah. am I right in saying it was I think the term is long-listed for an Oscar. Yeah, and for BAFTA and for lots of awards. And it, it screened in uh, in US, in cinemas, in Australia, France, all over the world. So we brought the festival with us. The festival had been going for seven years in Donegal, and it was the most logical thing in the world. We'd moved as a whole family down to Kells. We thought we'd be here for a year or two making the film, but we've actually really, really loved being in Kells, and the people of Kells have welcomed us. So five years, we've we've run the festival out in Hedford School. It was a summertime festival uh, when the school was closed, um, and we moved it to winter for a, a lot of different reasons. But we also really wanted to bring the festival right into the heart of Kells, because because Kells has, has got a great buzz about it. There's a, there was a Samhain Literature Festival two weeks ago. There's the Hinterland Festival in June. There's an amazing guy called Mark Smith who does a type trail. There's a lot goes on in Kells. There's a fantastic group of volunteers there called Local Heroes. I've, I've heard of them. I, <laughs> I, I've been known to be associated with them. And ah, I'm told okay. they do great work. They do amazing work. And in fact, this year in Kells, yeah. we've been very lucky, thanks to the O'Connell family, to be using the Mercy Convent, which has been empty for a long time, 15, 20 years. And local heroes have actually come in and are, are busy working with us to transform it. Also, yeah, there's certainly a new buzz in Kells like never before. There's a lot of things happening and there's a lot of things coming down the line. So everyone's got behind Gokgafa this time round. Well, I hope they have. And the, the, the really what we're hoping is that is that people will want to come and see what we're doing. I mean, we, we built pop-up cinemas, Ken. There's no cinema in Kells, as you know. And when we were in Donegal, there definitely wasn't a cinema in Gorterhawk. So we've taken these two chapels and we're converting them into, into two cinemas and a cafe. And people will be amazed at the transformation. So what we're doing is on the Thursday evening, the festival is from Friday 15th to Sunday 17th, but on Thursday evening, we're having an open evening. It's for anybody, but really we're focusing it on the Kells community, but anybody's welcome. Anyone in Meath, anyone can come along. The idea being, come and have a look at what we've done, how we've renovated these chapels, how we've built our cinemas in them. There'll be some some snacks and some drinks, and we'll show a couple of very short films, just to give people a, a taste yeah, and it's a, free it's a free evening there's a fascinating uh, range of uh, documentaries uh, for people to see people who are curious and so on I mean if I was to ask you what documentaries if you like jump out at you that you think are well worth going along to see well I would think Honeyland is definitely worth seeing. It's, this is a, a, um, an incredibly poignant and, and beautiful film set in North Macedonia about a, a woman who's a beekeeper, lives in, a, in stone buildings in the hills and looks after her elderly mother. And she, she keeps her bees, not in beehives, but in, in crevices in rocks and in trees. And she harvests the honey, always leaves a bit for the bees. And then suddenly she's descended upon by a family with seven kids who decide to move into some uh, derelict empty stone ruins near her. And her life is turned upside down because she's had peace and solace. And it's about this relationship between these the, the, her as the beekeeper and the mother and this group. But it's a, that film will actually, I think, my prediction will get a, an Oscar nomination this year. It's travelled the world. It's doing incredibly well. And any other documentaries that you would recommend? Well, of course, I'll recommend all of them, Ken. Sure. But the, <laughs> we sure we programme... Basically, what we do, let me explain how we choose the films. Because some people think documentary, television, you know, boring interviews. We choose our films from the very the biggest and the best festivals in the world. So we'll go to the big festivals if we can, or else we just ask for screening links. And we'll try and find the really great storytelling. So they're not films with long talking heads interviews or lots of archives, sometimes, but very rarely. Really, they're about characters, about people's personal stories. They're always very moving, very beautiful, sometimes very funny. And people um, with a good story to tell. Yeah, yeah. There's a film called The Arctic Camels, which which will work for adults and children. And um, that's about uh, a dad in the Arctic who decides, in Norway, decides to get 
two camels for his kids instead of uh, horses or whatever you'd normally get for your children. And then realizes, hang on a minute, well, I don't know anything about camels. So he goes with his kids to Mongolia and meets a camel trainer and explains, I bought two camels for my kids. What do I do with them? The camel trainer goes like, you haven't got a clue, have you? I'm going to come back with you to the Arctic. And you have this wonderful clash of cultures of this Mongolian camel trainer coming to the Arctic, trying to teach these kids and the dad how to look after the camel. That's called the, that's called the Arctic camel, uh, Camels. That's on, um, on Saturday, Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. We're running that twice because it'll work very well for children and adults. Sure. Um, this is not so much a Kells Film Festival or a Meath Film Festival or an Irish Film Festival. It's an international film festival. And I'm just thinking here, I mean, it must be quite, um, if you like, a cumbersome body of work to collect all these films uh, for each festival. I mean, I'm sure you're tic-tacking with people in Australia and America and Britain and elsewhere and then deciding, will we pick this one or that one? And then, I don't know if there's issues over uh, screening and copyright and then inviting people in. All of that. And then the whole funding thing. I mean, talk us through all this. Well, all of that and much, much more. We, We view about 300 films and we, cho- we choose about 20 out of that. And um, we, we're looking at all the, f- the films that are appearing in the festivals. And then because what, at Kugafa we like to invite guests with the film. So the Arctic Camels, the, the director's coming from Norway. So then you have to contact the, the director and say, would you be willing to come? We have to pay for that. They, the directors expect us to pay. We have to contact the rights holders of the films, which might be the company or a distributor. Can we have the, the screening right for the films? Then we have to get a film print over. It's a massive, massive task. And we do it on an absolute shoestring budget. But we have a, a fantastic team. We have a, a, only a couple of regulars, but a massive team of volunteers. Okay, David, I'm going to stop you there for a second. We're talking to uh, David Rain, who is one of the chief organisers uh, with Nasani Keenan of the Guffa International Documentary Film festival which is taking place in Kells next week. This is Ken Murray sitting in for Jerry Kelly on the late lunch here on LMFM and I'm talking to David Rain who is the chief organiser of the Guffa International Documentary Film Festival. That's a, it's a bit of a mouthful but we know what it's about but it's happening in Kells uh, next weekend. Um, I believe that one of the, I suppose, the novelty uh, aspects of the film festival is that you're devoting a segment to Meath directors. Talk us through that. Well, we've always tried to to show a couple of Meath-based films. Sometimes it's a, a filmmaker lives in Meath, sometimes it's a film shot in Meath. This year we've got, we've got two. Um, we've got a director who's been with us before. Um, his name's Paul Webster. He's got a very funny film called The Vasectomy Doctor. It's a short film. I'm not going to tell you anything about it because the name says the name <laughs> says enough already. But we've also we're really really lucky to be showing um, what we call a Meath made secret screening, which is where we are not going to tell anybody what this film is. Uh, the the film has had a world premiere, but has not been shown anywhere else in the world. And the world premiere was outside of Ireland. So this is an, an Irish premiere, an international premiere. And it's, sec- it's secret. It's, a, it's a, a really very strong film, a mixture of animation and film noir. I can't tell you anything about it. I can't, uh, even on the day, we'll, we'll swear our audience to secrecy, that they don't go out and publicize it. I but- suppose th- one of the great things, David, about an international film festival is that because you're bringing in outside producers, outside directors. It's a chance for, you know, uh, Irish producers and directors in this country to mingle and tic-tac and pick up phone numbers and, if you like, uh, exchange cards and do further business. Absolutely. And a lot of filmmakers come for that reason, you know, just to meet other international filmmakers. But the, but the great thing about Gugafa is it's, it's quite intimate and cosy. It'll be really warm and cosy this year because it's winter. So audiences get to talk to directors. And that's really unusual. So after you've seen a film, you've heard a director speak, you then see them in the cafe because we're all in one place. They 
to have a cup of coffee together and say, oh, I loved your film. And I wanted, it's a question I wanted to ask, but I was a bit embarrassed to ask the question in the Q&A. And meanwhile, I have a script in my pocket. Maybe you might be well, interested in it. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. But more often than not, they genuinely want to, to know the, the story. I, I also want to focus, David, on the animation side of the festival mm-hmm. because it's, a, if you like, a separate segment. Uh, you have a number of animations. Um, animation is, uh, it's a risk business too for companies because they can invest a lot of money in animation and then nobody takes up on it and it never pays for itself and so on but I'm thinking of people like Brown Bag Films and so on they've had some great success huge success and I think yeah. the story of Kells Cartoon, Cartoon Saloon they're called in yeah. Kilkenny yeah. yeah the story of Kells uh, was uh, a great success in itself how important is the animation dimension to the festival? Well the animation strand for us we use it as a way to bring our younger audiences in. Because documentaries can can sometimes be a little bit difficult. Sometimes they're subtitled. So what we do is we've always programmed either... We showed The Breadwinner, which was made by Cartoon Saloon that I mentioned last year. This year, we've decided to go for two short animation programs. So they're each about an hour long. One is for kids under 10 and one is for kids over 10. And the focus on them is the environment, climate, you know, what we've, the, the, the mess we've made with the environment, but also the positive, beautiful things about nature and the environment. They're beautiful, lovely films. And I can't recommend that highly enough to parents. Bring your kids along. Those are on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock and Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Okay, I believe you're doing some uh, remedial work, I think is the phrase, on uh, a number of buildings in Kells. So uh, I believe there's work ongoing in the next few days. Yes, and we... We need some help, volunteers. Um, yeah, we're converting these two wonderful chapels. They, they're, as a, by converting, I mean we're actually temporarily putting cinemas in them. We're not doing any permanent work to them. But it's a very exciting project. We want people to, to come along. Anybody who can come and help, just look on our website, gugafa.com, G-U-T-H-G-A-F-A.com. There's a, a volunteers link on there. And can I just also mention that we're doing a schools outreach. So for three days next week, before the festival any schools in county meath who'd like to come along we transition year we're focusing on and take part in that film and a chat discussion with teachers and with us about the films you need to book those quickly we've got two or three slots left for them so again if you go on our website or email me at david at gugafa.com that would be fantastic okay we're going to leave it there so to david rain thanks for coming in and indeed uh, to your other half nasa nikina on the best of luck with the gugafa international that's the key word there film uh, documentary festival and it's taking place from november the 14th to the 17th in Kells. So best wishes with that. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors Drogheda Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how affordable a new car is in the new year. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Late Lunch with myself, Ken Murray, sitting in for Jerry Kelly today. And uh, did you ever wonder why is it if a baby born in bed A goes on to make a billion and a baby born in bed B doesn't make a billion, never becomes a CEO. Why is it that one person seems to be born with energy, get up and go and a desire to succeed in a way that someone else doesn't? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it something that can be developed as you make your way through life? Well, to try and find out more, I'm joined in studio by uh, Nadine McCarthy and uh, Nadine runs uh, an online site called Kelt leader program and basically what it is it uh, I suppose it gives guidance to people who want to develop leadership skills Nadine thanks for joining us on the program we don't get too many Kilkenny people up in the loud mead area so um, we'll, we'll, we'll forgive you for that but is everybody a born leader or is it just something that's naturally in certain individuals yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, especially as a cat. <laughs> um, I believe that everybody can be a leader. We all possess that kind of the source level for leadership resides within us, but we're not educated. We're not trained in that way. So uh, circumstances often can allow and give the opportunity for people to become leaders. So you mentioned sport there, for example. So, um, but my belief and my experience is that once a spotlight is shone on leadership and it's nurtured, then it can be developed in anyone. 
Yes, but some people, you know, from a very young age are, if you like, the big mouth in the class. Somebody is the person who can drive the flock. Mm. Somebody is the person who spots a business opportunity in a way that others aren't. I'm trying to work out, like, where does that come from? Uh, it, particularly if mum and dad are quiet, shy, humble, modest individuals. Yeah, well, I, I think that, uh, I think that, Again, I think that it can be nurtured and it's it's uh, it's obvious, of course, that some people will stand out or shine that little bit earlier um, than others. And that can be developed then as well. But I suppose my definition of leadership, really, um, and particularly in the context of the Celtic Leader Programme, because that's a specific focus on leadership, um, is that leadership can be divided into two main domains. One is leading yourself. So learning how to actually become a leader. What are the skills, the capacities for leadership, particularly in the times that we live in now? And the second domain of leadership that I believe in and that I work with is can you lead the change that you want to make? Can you step forward in agency and action? Can you step into what you believe you're here to do to make a difference? Whether that's in your family, in your society, in your club, in your community, in your school, in your government, in the country or even in the globe. Okay, you've set up the Celtic Leadership Online Programme. I'll come to that in a second, Mm. but talk me through what's uh, called the Firestarter Programme. Okay, so the Firestarter Festival is a really interesting programme, which is really around leadership. This was um, uh, last year, uh, myself and three other, I would say, probably Celtic warriors, um, three other volunteers. We were in Scotland on a training programme and we heard about the Firestarter Festival. Um, The Firestarter Festival was uh, initiated back in 2015 by the Scottish Government um, and it's promoted by Nicola Sturgeon, uh, who's the Prime Minister there. And it is to create, uh, it is, I suppose, to ignite creativity and change and disruption um, and to start conversations that will create difference in society. In Scotland, the festival is very much run and supported and funded through the Scottish Government. Um, But when I heard about it, it kind of sparked something in me. So I contacted people in the Scottish government who run the festival and asked them if they would be interested in running a parallel festival here in Ireland. So myself and the other three volunteers um, set up, we actually launched, would you believe, I was only thinking this in the car on the way up, we actually launched the Firestarter Festival this day last year in Crow Park and the only available room that we could take that day was called the Celtic Suite. So we had our Celtic cousins here from Scottish government to launch that project. And the Firestarter Festival runs over two weeks at the end of January and the beginning of February. And the way that we focused on it here in Ireland was to ask for people to step forward and create or, yeah, I suppose, create an event that they felt would make a difference and that would contribute to some sort of societal change. And I mean, when you say societal change, is there a long term vision about the way Irish society, for example, is going? I mean, is there the definitive... Irish society, you know, no, yeah. no crime, everybody in a job, everybody with their mortgages paid off by a certain age, or what is the definition of uh, the definitive Irish society? Yeah, well, I suppose my own definition of that would be based around the, you know, the old Irish word, the Ashling, which is, you know, really when you translate that word, it stands for poetic vision. So, you know, what is each person's poetic vision for their own life? And can you step in and lead that particular calling? And I think calling is fundamental to the kind of leadership that I'm talking about, because to me, there's a real importance in people connecting to what it is that they feel they're here to do, to make a difference to, to contribute to in society. Um, I suppose my vision for Ireland um, particularly would be that we can create a movement of leaders, of people of all ages who can really uh, make a difference uh, in their, in, you know, and ripple out into their into their locality. Some people listening to this programme might say, but sure, isn't that what political parties do? They, you know, they join particular political parties because they have their own vision. You know, party X represents my thinking, party Y represents someone else's thinking, and they all have this mm-hmm. drive to create a, a very content and happy society. Mm. So is there really a difference? Well, government leaders 
leaders are leaders in a, in a different capacity to uh, grassroots leadership and to people coming up through the community and to school leaders and to sports leaders and to organisational leaders. So they have a, a particular function and a particular role. And I'd like to think that they would have their own vision for what they're focusing on and what they're supporting in their own localities. And that that is also joined up thinking, that we have a kind of a systemic approach to um, to government leadership across the country. And I'd also like to think that the government uh, leaders would have a vision that's wider than Ireland as well, that we're contributing into global challenges and into solving um, you know, major issues that are uh, facing us as a society and as a humanity today. Okay, well, before I get on to Celtic Leader um, after the break, um, the Firestarter programme, you held your first festival last year. So have we created any new leaders, if you like, since uh, November 2018? Yeah, so um, well, we... You know, one of the really wonderful and surprising things about the Firestarter Festival was that it was a prototype. And I think this is really fundamental to leadership. Like, can you ha- can you find, as John O'Donoghue, um, one of the my favourite authors would say, can you find ease in risk? Um, can we create leaders who will step out of their comfort zone and actually step into something that's important for them to lead um, on? So we created leaders uh, across the country, which was surprising for us. Um, and people stepped forward to lead um, events which focused on family, which focused on fathers, which focused on parent alienation, which focused on imagining the future of Ireland. Um, so there were even there were there were there was an event in Galway which looked at stress. Is stress a normal way for us to live? Okay, you're listening to Late Lunch with myself, Ken Murray, sitting in for Jerry Kelly, and I'm joined in studio by Nadine McCarthy, who is talking about the Celtic Leader Program. Now, this is an online program. Talk us through what it is and how it works. Okay, so the Celtic Leader Program is, uh, as you said, an online program running for seven months. Um, one of the supporting spines, I suppose, of the programme is that we're following five Celtic festivals. So we're starting in Samhain, which we're currently in. So this programme actually begins this Sunday. Um, And we are using and leveraging the energies of each Celtic festival as our ancestors would have done to live more in rhythm with nature and with ourselves. So just taking the Celtic piece before I move into the leadership piece, um, our ancestors would have had a time for everything. Like there was a time for harvesting um, and the harvest is now in. And so the celebration of that would have happened. And now we're moving into a time where, like if you think about how the the trees are shedding their leaves, there's a time to be fallow. There's a time to... um, you know, ensure that you're looking at planting the seeds in the ground for what's to come. So this programme really follows those uh, each of those seasons over the next seven months to activate the essential energies that our ancestors would have used to live and lead and be in a better way. It sounds very spiritual. Or Does it? Yeah. Am I being perhaps uh, exaggerating yeah. what the, if you like, the theme of the whole thing is? Yeah, well, it's one theme of it for sure. Um, I suppose what I'm wanting to do with the programme is to integrate what worked for our ancestors because there's a lot that's not working in our current linear candle, candle, calendar and the way that we that live. I mean, I work with people every week in business and in sport who are in a frenetic, busy, overwhelmed pace of life. And, you know, operating with the Celtic calendar offers you the opportunity to step off the linear calendar um, and to uh, work with a different with a different rhythm, but while working in parallel with the linear calendar. So, I mean, the Celtic piece is only one aspect of the programme. The other part is really around leadership. Um, I suppose just to make a final statement about the Celtic calendar piece, um, it really will help people to slow down so that they can step into the leadership calling and purpose that they feel resonant with and connected with in order to make a difference for the times that we live in. So that part is the is the leadership piece. Um, so if somebody wants to, if you like, engage in this leadership programme, 
they go online. Is there a fee or what way does it work? Yeah, there's a fee. So um, they can go online onto the CelticLeader.com um, and read about the, the programme there. Um, for the seven month programme, um, the fee for that is €495, Euros, which you can pay once off or you can pay over the course of the seven months at €85 Euros per month. So um, the feedback that I've received is that that's really accessible um, for people who would want to um, I suppose ignite change and step forward to make a difference in their own um, society or in the country or even in the globe. There are lots of people doing leadership and mentoring and giving advice on how to be confident and how to pitch a sales pitch to a corporation to try and win sales all this type of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean people might say well why should I pay for a course online when I can go to a course that starts in the local hotel and Mary or Johnny will identify my weaknesses and my strengths and they'll talk me through what I have to do to become a successful leader. What would you say to that? Yeah, well, that's obviously that's an opportunity for them to do and each person will, will know what is right for them. The opportunity, I suppose, with the online piece is that there are there is a community of leaders from across the globe coming to this. So there's exposure um, um, and the opportunity to build relationships globally with other leaders who are interested in this particular field. Um, I think the Celtic Leader Programme um, as I said before the break but I'll just repeat it just in case anybody didn't hear that it specifically focuses on um, a distinct area of leadership which is firstly about you being able to lead yourself can you can you stand into your own purpose against the uncertainty of these times and can you lead the change can you actually take action and close go full circle and lead the change that you feel will make a difference so but is it leadership in things like business or politics or sport or is it that some people some people are born with confidence and they can speak like me into a microphone and they're not nervous at all, but others, it's a nerve-wracking experience. Is it like yeah. developing one's confidence, one's ability to succeed in a very competitive world? Yeah. Well, maybe if I if I share with you that the, there's three kinds of people who are attracted to this programme and I kind of just for simplicity call them the three C's so this might help to answer that question so the first C uh, stands for crossroads and this is for somebody who feels they're at at a crossroads or need a change in their life or in their work things haven't been working um, maybe they want to move forward with a different purpose and direction the second C stands for completion which is somebody who hasn't been able to get an initiative or a project off the ground for example there's people who haven't finished a book who are coming on this programme who really want to make sure that by the end of May next year when the programme ends that they have actually completed their book and can launch that out and the third C um, stands for calling which is is there something deeper something bigger that you feel that you are here to do that you are here to contribute to for these times Okay Nadine we're going to have to leave it there so just remind listeners very briefly where can they get in touch um, yep, so the easiest to do is either nadinemccarthy.ie or theceltic.leader.com. Nadine McCarthy, thank you very much indeed uh, for coming in and talking to us about the Celtic Leader Programme. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how affordable a new car is in the new year. You're listening to The Late Lunch here on LMFM with myself, Ken Murray, sitting in for Jerry Kelly. If you do want to get in touch, by the way, uh, we'll take a text on 086-1800-658. Jim Farm Drum Condrath was in touch and wanted to know if the cat lady uh, would tell us how to become billionaires. Now, when I say cat lady, if you're from Kilkenny, you're known as a cat because that's the nickname of people from that county. So uh, it's not a derogatory term in any way. Anyway, on to my next guest. And some people may 
Then again, they may not know that the Count Dracula franchise was the creation of a man from Dublin called Bram Stoker. There is a Bram Stoker Historical Society in Trinity College in Dublin. And I remember some years ago, we wanted to do a a story. I was doing some work for UTV television and we wanted to do a story about the house that Bram Stoker was born in. And apparently the occupant just didn't want to know. There was going to be no plaques, no statues outside the door. Bram Stoker was a pain in the neck, if you'll pardon the pun. But uh, it leads me into my next... um my next guest, because I'm joined in studio by Laura Ellen Anderson. She's a highly acclaimed UK illustrator. She's a children's writer. And uh, Amelia Fang and the Lost Yeti Treasures is the latest in her fiction series. And she's here in studio from, well, London via Essex to talk about (laughs) her new book. It's called Amelia Fang and the Lost Yeti Treasures. I mean... Talk us through it, because I, I, I suspect there's a lot of blood and Halloween and all that well, sort of stuff. you would think so, uh, with Amelia Fang being a vampire, but um, I have turned tradition on its head um, in this series, and the vampires don't actually drink blood, and they do have reflections. They're more like you and I, just a bit hairier, a few more spiky teeth. Um, so we're looking at kind of mischievous, creepy characters. But yes, Amelia Fang and the Lost Yeti Treasures follows the um, story of Amelia and her friends visiting her best friend Florence, uh, who is a rare breed of Yeti. It's Florence's Grand Yeti Clements' 350th birth night party in the Yeti mountain pits. Um, and they go for a big Yeti-style party. And then strange things start to happen. So the Yeti precious treasures start to go missing. And it's up to Amelia and her friends to find out what's going on because the pits start to crumble. And in the midst of all of this, Amelia has had a bit of a falling out with her friend too. um, And her friend might have to move thousands of miles away. So Amelia is facing the same kinds of challenges maybe kids might face these days, you know, falling outs and arguments, but they get through at the end. Okay, let me come to the book in a little bit more detail Mm. uh, just uh, in a few minutes. But you started out as an illustrator. I did. You must have a very creative mind if you're good at drawing and sketching and writing children's books. I mean, tell us about... You know, how you started and the success you had as an illustrator. Yes, so I began by illustrating other authors' books. I'm a very visual person and um, I've been very, very lucky to work with fabulous authors such as Shabelle Pounder um, and Kerry Burnell. And my first ever, the first ever picture book I illustrated was with um, Kerry Burnell called Snowflakes. And I illustrated a lot of picture books and then I started to write my own picture books um, starting off with the book I Don't Want Curly Hair Um, and then I started to branch out into the slightly older chapter books such as Amelia Fang um, which are around 15 to 18,000 words long but heavily illustrated as well so still keeping to the kind of illustration side of things. You're, I suppose, pitching your book at the children's market. One thinks of Harry Potter and and the the phenomenal success uh, it it was. Um, How difficult is it as an adult to get your mind connected to the mind of a child and write, if you like, script and fiction that connects? So it can be a challenge sometimes, um, but to be honest with you, by reading lots of books in that age range, it can kind of help you to get into the mindset and just remembering what it is like to be a child and remembering the kind of questions you had as a kid, um, because it is easy to forget. And by doing events with children, um, I'm always so pleasantly surprised with some of the things they come up with. They're so fresh minded, they're so honest as well. And uh, some of the ideas they come up with when we're creating characters together and coming up with story ideas are just absolutely brilliant. But yes, sometimes I have to step away and think to myself, okay, how would a child see this situation through their eyes um, and kind of see it from that point of view, putting yourself into that character's shoes. Right, but when you write, if you like, a children's book, Mm. do you have somebody who is, if you like, 
testing your ability to connect. You have a, you know, an eight-year-old child who's reading this and saying, well, actually, Laura, I don't like that page or I don't like that page or I don't like the way the story is going. Do you have somebody who is, if you like, testing the script in advance? It would be handy. I don't have any children myself. Um, so I do most of my writing on my own and my partner is also an author um, so we often read a lot of our, our work to each other um, and then I send a lot of my work to my agent to look over and my editors and because my editors are fantastic at knowing what works within that age range kind of seven to nine year olds they will often say oh this word might be perhaps a little bit too old for this age range or maybe kind of see it from this point of view um but no it would be handy to have uh, a personal assistant perhaps <laughs> to read through and say oh no i don't like this one but you you soon find out when kids read your book exactly what they think and they're wonderfully honest it's brilliant okay amelia fang where did the idea come from so i'm a huge fan of the likes of tim burton um you may not be surprised to know and i wanted to write a funny book i wanted to write something that was slightly gothicy and it it just so happened I was coming up with lots of different ideas and I was sitting in the cafe, I was eating a peanut butter and jam sandwich. I still remember it so vividly when I drew my very first picture of Amelia Fang. So she kind of started from a sketch, so to speak, and she was this mean and grumpy looking character at the very beginning. And then I developed her character further and created kind of brave, loyal um, main character that the reader would aspire to be like and want to root for and then you can save the, the mean and horrible characters for the, the side side characters later on. Okay, I mean, are you a fan of horror or, you know, um, did you decide or why did you decide to do a funny horror series for kids? So I don't like anything that's too scary. Um, so, for example, my, my biggest inspirations growing up were books such as The Witches by Roald Dahl and wonderfully illustrated by Quentin Blake and The Worst Witch series by Jill Murphy. Um, and it's the, those books growing up which I loved to read and I wanted to write something kind of in that vein. So I like to describe them as deliciously scary where they're not too scary. And the Amelia Fang books aren't scary at all, really. They're more gross than scary. So it's got the, the kind of the gross elements such as the food they eat um, and it's just full of adventure and kind of mischievous misadventure rather than kind of scary adventure. Okay, well, now, from what I've read of the book, and I didn't get to the end because uh, I, I was invited in here at the last minute, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, are you a fan of autumn or are you a fan of Halloween? I or am. Is that Halloween zone, you know, a spooky world that you, you enjoy? I love it. I love this time of year, um, autumn, Halloween. There's something, there's a real buzz in the air and something slightly unsettling and spooky. You know, you've got quite a misty atmosphere um, and I, I think kids love Halloween. There's that kind of element of being slightly scary and just the thrill of it all um, and I'm completely obsessed with pumpkins and I just love that change in the air and the, the colours as well of autumn and I just it's my most favourite time of year so to be able to put all of those feelings into a book um, it's kind of like my love letters at this time of year and all of the things I love about yeah. Halloween Right and what sort of books were you reading as a child? So yes as I mentioned before uh, The Witches The Worst Witch um, I absolutely adored The Twits as well by Roald Dahl a huge role doll um fan um and a, a lot of picture books as well so i loved reading um there's actually a, a it has no words in it but it's the rain briggs the snowman which was a beautiful beautiful picture book um read like a movie but um i'm highly inspired by film as well so animated film and such as the nightmare before christmas and corpse bride and films such as the adams family casper the friendly ghost so all of those films growing up adventure films like the goonies um and gremlins uh, i just wanted to put all of that kind of nostalgic feel into my books now, I'm told your books have been translated into 20 languages. And yes. Yeah, I mean, what's it like when the, uh, the, the Mongolian version comes through the letterbox? It's fascinating because, I mean, I don't understand. <laughs> I can only judge what it says, judge the, the English version. But it's amazing to see just how it looks in another language. Um, and just seeing the book translated into that many languages is, is fantastic because you just think that's so many children across the world that can enjoy the story too and uh, uh, you know when you get your book 
translated into uh, another language. Uh, do you find that the uh, Swahili version is actually selling better than the English version? Or, <laughs> you know, does that happen? I don't actually know the the exact figures, to be honest with you. I can only hope that they're doing very well. Um, that might be something I need to ask for the numbers. But, um, yeah, I, I hope I, I tend to get messages from various people every now and then via various social media saying you know we're reading the book in french or german and we're loving it and i'd love to if i could speak many other different languages i'd love to see how it's translated you know there are a few changes uh, to character names and um i think it might be the german editions where they they ran by a few of the names and said are you okay with how it translates and um yeah it's fantastic yeah. okay well look we're running out of time uh, i do believe you have is it four books to give away uh yes that is correct you're going to sign them they are going to be signed. Scribbled. And it's a case of if any mum or dad or adventurous child wants to give us a call, we're going to give away the four books and it's the first four that rings in gets them. Perfect. And the book is called Amelia Fang and the Lost Yeti Treasures and it is published by, just remind me, is it Egmont? Egmont, that's correct. Egmont, so. uh, UK. Yes, and there's two of that book and two of Amelia Fang and the Barbaric Ball, which is the first one of the series to give away. Well, look, Laura Ellen, we, we wish you well. I know it's a very competitive business uh, to be in, uh, in terms of the amount of... Uh, the amount of people writing children's books uh, and, and you know, you've got to sit down, you've got to dream it up. Uh, mm. So if anybody wants to uh, give us a call for those four books, the number is 1850-715-958. 1850-715-958. The first four calls in get signed copies of the book, Amelia Fang and the Lost Yeti Treasures. Thank you very much indeed for coming in. And thank you so much. And thank you and continued success. Okay, you're listening to to the late lunch we'll take a break the late lunch with blackstone motors the 2020 renault runway event is now on at blackstone motors drada dundalk and cavan save thousands across the range for the new year Okay, you're listening to Late Lunch here on LMFM with myself, Ken Murray, sitting in for Jerry Kelly. Now, something like 320,000 daffodils will be on sale next year in County Meath alone in order to raise funds for the Irish Cancer Society. It's a very, uh, I suppose, innovative initiative, if you like, in terms of what it aims to do. It's the brainchild of Councillor Sharon Kilgan, and she joins me on the line right now. Good afternoon, Sharon. Now, talk us through this, uh, if you like, this idea, what it aims to do and what its long-term objective is. Well, I suppose, really, I I, I travelled into Drogheda where all the young people were marching there early in September. And uh, I suppose I'm one of these people, I like to put actions into wars rather than uh, getting onto the streets to protest. So I thought, well, how can I get these young people motivated to do something in their own home areas and in their communities? So I came up with this uh, challenge. I ran it by the Irish Cancer Society, um, first of all, and then I had to find a partner to see to finance it. So our local endeavour kindly came on board. Um, so we have signed up 40 groups between schools and youth groups throughout this county, right over from Summerhill, Kilcock direction, um, up as far as Dunboyne, Battistown, right down as far as I was down in Ballygib this morning, down to Atsboy and all around this local area here in uh, this side of Meath. So it's been a wonderful initiative. Each each bulb, um, every school gets a bag of bulbs. There's 400 bulbs in each, tho- in each of those uh, uh, each of those bags. Um, when they eventually get into full bloom, which could take a number of years, there's about 20, 20 um, daffodils will come on, onto each, each bulb. Um, so that, in effect, will work out as a uh, 320,000 daffodils blooming and, in and this county as a result of this uh, Sure, initiative. and tell me this, what sort of reception are you getting in the schools? Absolutely fantastic. They're all looking forward to it. And, and it's a wonderful project to be involved in because they're getting getting the, the, the bulbs, they'll be planting the bulbs, they'll be experiencing the growth of, uh, of, the, of the bulbs, then they'll be, when they come into bloom, they'll be cutting them and then selling the, 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 the daffodils for the Irish cancer society to make money for and even if those schools only generate 100 euros that's 4,000 euros that the Irish Cancer Society will have that they didn't have 
Well, it sounds like a, a, a fantastic initiative. Uh, do you think there's a, a new green awareness in the land uh, as we talk about climate change and so on? Do you think that what young people are learning in schools about, you know, uh, growing plants and cleaner air, that this is, if you like, helping to persuade them to get involved in this because they see the long-term benefits? Absolutely. I mean, most, most of the, like the primary schools in particular have green councils and green school councils. And even yesterday when I was in, I think it was St. Declan's in uh, Ashburn, a lot of the students came out uh, to receive the bulbs and they were getting involved in, uh, in planting these particular bulbs. But they were heading for their, I think it was their sixth green flag. So most of the schools are very, very aware of what's going on in their environment. They're very happy to get involved in local initiatives and school initiatives that will make our planet a better planet and their environment and their living communities a much better places to live in. All going to plan, I mean, how much do you think this initiative could raise next year for the Irish Cancer Society? Well, I, next year, I'm not, I'm not planning it's going to raise a lot of money next year. But the following years and subsequent years, it will raise a lot of money by, a lot, by all those schools. And maybe... I can roll it out maybe with a different bulb next year for a different charity. You know, so I, I definitely think this is something that, and I know the Irish Cancer Society have had calls from all over the country looking for the daffodils. So it was something that we, we uh, I thought about here in Mead. It'd be lovely to think that somebody else in different counties would uh, put out a daffodil challenge to all their schools and youth groups um, in their own county. And imagine, imagine the revenue it could raise by the young people. Um, Finally, Sharon, because we're, we're up against the clock, we're heading yeah. into news. Just if, if any other school or youth club wants to, if you like, take part in this initiative, uh, how do they get in touch with you? Well, I'm, I'm based here in Dalik. Uh, you can come into my Dalik office. I, the bulbs need to go in uh, in November. I, I have only, I think, there are two bags left. So there's, there's two school groups out there that would like to get in touch with me. You can contact me here in Dalik. Um, and my telephone number is 04198. 80523. Okay, Sharon Kogan, thank you very much indeed. Sounds like thank a great you. idea. Yeah, and uh, that, that, that bulb initiative is being rolled out across uh, County Meath. Okay, you're listening to The Late Lunch right here on LMFM. It's just coming up to three o'clock. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Save thousands across the range for the new year. You're listening to The Late Lunch with myself, Ken Murray, sitting in for Jerry Kelly. Jerry will be back next week. Now, if you do want to get in touch, you can text us on 1850 758 Deirdre Butler has been in touch in Kell, saying she's enjoying the show. As you heard there in the Sports Bulletin, uh, Dundalk are playing Linfield this evening. The kickoff is in Belfast at quarter to eight. And, of course, we will have full live coverage of the game online on lmfm.ie and indeed on the LMFM app with thanks to Boyle Sports. Speaking of Boyle Sports, I'm joined on the line now by Leon Blanche, who is the Communications Director uh, with Boyle Sports. Uh, Leon, there's no international rugby this week and there's no national, uh, if you like, competitions in GAA, but uh, I believe there's, uh, there's a bit of rugby on tonight and tomorrow. So where are people placing their bets? Yeah, look, there certainly is, Ken. Good afternoon to you. Um, the four Irish provinces are actually up against each other in the opening week's fixtures. Leinster, who of course are the reigning champions, uh, travel down to Galway uh, to play Connacht at 7.35 this evening. And look, there's going to be a lot of um, Irish uh, players who will have bruised egos. And what better way to get rid of the disappointment of the World Cup than to go back to your club and play a bit of rugby. But Connacht, they are the slight underdogs. They are getting four points in the handicap. So it's Connacht plus four at 10 to 11. Leinster minus four, also at 10 to 11. And if you want to just have the straight match betting, it sees Connacht six to four, Leinster four to seven. And the draw here at 25 to one. I think Connacht have picked quite a strong team. And I'd be surprised if the boys from the West can't kick their um, campaign off with a winning start in the other game, which takes place uh, tomorrow. It sees Munster at home against Ulster. And no surprise again to see Munster are the overwhelming favourites uh, to win this game. Munster are 2 to 11, Ulster 4 to 1, and the draw here as big as 28 to 1. However, in the handicap betting, um, Ulster are getting an 11 point head start 
And I think that could be, if you're interested in the rugby, I think Ulster plus 11 at 10 to 11 might be the way to go in that game tomorrow evening. If we move on to the Premier League, I think one of the surprise teams uh, so far in the Premier League this year has been, uh, if you like, a resurgent Leicester City. They're playing Arsenal uh, tomorrow. Uh, What's betting like uh, on that particular game? Yeah, look, I agree with you. I think Leicester, um, they've been absolutely a breath of fresh air in terms of the Premier League. Look, they... They are. They do have a Premier League uh, champions winning medal in their locker. Um, and many of these guys possess that medal. And Brendan Rodgers, who, of course, used to manage Liverpool, he went up to Glasgow to manage Celtic and done a tremendous job. He's now in charge of Leicester. And they're playing some fantastic football. And it goes to show you how far they've come. They're favourites to beat Arsenal at home. Leicester, a shade worse than even money at 20 to 21. Arsenal are 13 to 5. And the draw here is 14 to 5. Look, Leicester, they've got the top goal scorer in Jamie Vardy. He's got 10 goals so far in the Premier League. He's the favourite to score first at 130. Arsenal, they don't know how to keep a clean sheet. And unfortunately, if you're an Arsenal fan listening in, I think it's going to be a very difficult game for you. And I fully expect Leicester at home to collect all three points against the Gunners. I'm an Arsenal fan, Leon. I don't think I want to talk to you ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I just think, look, there's obviously huge problems at Arsenal. Um, Granit Xhaka looks like he's going to be leaving in January. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, Aubameyang is now captain, which is a good thing. He's a fantastic player. But I just wonder with Arsenal, the player recruitment, when you bring in a player like David Luiz to be your starting centre-half, I think there's problems. And I just think Leicester, the way they're playing at the minute, they're playing with full of confidence. They're third in the table and they're going very nicely under Brendan Rodgers. And just finally, very briefly, any bets on Dundalk and Linfield tonight? Yeah, look, Dundalk, I suppose they've got to try and pick themselves up, haven't they, um, in terms of what happened when they were going for that historic travel. I think they can go up to play Linfield and beat them, but the game of the whole weekend, without a shadow of a doubt, sees Manchester City travel to Anfield to take on Liverpool. Liverpool 8-5, to City 13-8, to the draw of 5-2, there's six points between them in the Premier League. I think Liverpool might just nick this two goals to one and go nine points clear. OK, Leon, we leave it there. That's uh, Leon Blanche, Communications Director with uh, Boyle Sports. And as I said, the Dundalk-Linfield match is available tonight on the lmfm.ie website and on the LMFM app, courtesy of Boyle Sports. And if you want to hear the match on the website, you just click on and you'll see the page. Click in there and uh, you can hear the commentary online. OK, we have more to come. We'll take a break. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Save thousands across the range for the new year. You're listening to The Late Lunch with myself, Ken Murray, sitting in for Jerry Kelly here on LMFM. Well, as you know, there was uh, an horrific uh, attack on Sean Cox from Dunboyne in Liverpool in April of last year. He was attacked by a number of Roma FC fans and it's a story that has shocked everybody in the civilised world and uh, hopefully uh, Sean Cox will be back in good fine fettle in the next uh, year or so but it's a slow process but things are happening he's heading to Anfield uh, this weekend and a number of locals in the Dunboyne area have got together to raise some funds and to tell us more I'm joined on the line by Jerry Hannigan. First of all, Jerry, can I ask you to give us an update on how Sean is? Hi, Ken. How you doing? Um, yeah, well, Sean, Sean is, um, he's going to Anfield tomorrow, as you said, for the first time since the attack. So that's, um, that's a positive step. Um, and we understand that he's in the UK at the moment. Um, he's getting a specialist treatment um, for the rest of the year. Um, so it's a slow, it's a slow progress um and he's got a long road ahead of him but um he's uh, he's he's it's positive moves positive steps okay i mean uh, since this happened uh, what sort of if you like reaction have the cox family received from people in britain and indeed liverpool fans around the world yeah there's been huge support um all all over all over the uk and and uh, in ireland um and especially in Dunboyne, everybody has just rallied together. It's just such a great community to be to be part of, and we we we're, everyone just rallies together to um 
to, to try and help Sean and to get him some much needed funds for the for the long road that he has ahead of him for, for the re- rehabilitation. So, yeah. I mean, in terms of those funds, uh, w- without trying to be too nosy, but, I mean, are you in a position to tell us what sort of money is needed to, to pay for the rehabilitation? No, I'm not at all. I just know that it's very costly over the next, and it's a long, long road. So he's 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 going to need a he's going to need a lot of help along the way. So we just wanted to um, to do something um, that would help um, in the cost for for his rehabilitation. I just know that it's going to be very expensive and very specialised, um, and and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I get to the song, um, I'm just curious, uh, what sort of engagement have you had from Liverpool FC uh, in terms of them keeping in touch with you and the Cox family? Yeah, no, I don't really, we don't, I don't really have any, any involvement in, in Liverpool. It, that's all to do with support channel and the trust that's been set up. Uh, the communication between Liverpool and the trust is, there's nothing to do with the community. Um, I'm just a part of the community that decided that let's get together and do something that, that can be helpful. So I don't have any information for you about, about, um, any of that. Okay, well I understand you've uh, put a number of singers and musicians together to, if you like, do a Dunboyne version of the old Jerry and the Pacemakers hit from 1963 called You'll Never Walk Alone. Did you did you have to get on to the publishers to get free, uh, you know, clearance on copyright and all that type of stuff? We we did. Yeah, the whole process has been long. It's been about it's been 9 months in the making, so there was an awful lot of red tape and bureaucracy that we had to overcome. Um, and a lot of obstacles put in the way, but we managed to um, we managed to get it over the line, and it's uh, the single is on sale now um, online, so it's fantastic. And where and when did you record? We recorded in Dunboyne. The whole program, the whole um, the whole uh, program was done in Dunboyne. Um, we recorded in Oblivion Studios in Dunboyne. Andrew Bass is a local businessman that runs the studio, and he has been so helpful. In getting the the single to um, to to where it is now, um, without him we wouldn't have been able to do it at all. So uh, an awful lot of uh, thanks needs to go to Andrew um, for for everything. Very good. And are you getting much media interest beyond Mead? Yeah. Well, look. look yeah. The the the, the um, there's been great uh, exposure to it on Facebook and social media. There's been an awful lot of hits over the last few uh, few days. And um, hopefully it'll just grow and grow and grow, and we can we can get something going that'll really help. You know, it'll be great to get this to number one. So we need as much support as we can from from everybody to to go online, go on to supportshan dot com, um, and and buy the song. Very good. And if anybody wants to make donations or get involved in fundraising, is there anybody in particular they should contact? Yeah, well, there's a there's a Facebook page for Support Sean, and there's also the website, which is www.supportsean.com, and there is always somebody um, to, that will respond to any any efforts that want to be made to fund, to fundraise for for Sean. So supportshawn.com. Okay, Jerry, we're going to give the song a play in just a minute. So can I just thank you very much indeed uh, for talking to us this afternoon and keep in touch and keep us updated on Sean's progress. Thanks very much indeed. Will do. Thanks very much, Ken. Thanks for playing the song. Okay, that's Jerry Hannigan there in Dunboyne. And as he said, uh, they've got together to record their own version of the song. Uh, that just about wraps it up for today. Uh, I think Joan Larkin is in the seat on Monday and Jerry should be back on Tuesday. I want to thank Louise Walsh uh, for putting it all together. From myself, Ken Murray, good afternoon. God bless and slán. And we leave you with, if you like, the Dunboyne version of the old Jerry and the Pacemakers hit from 1963. You'll never walk alone. Afraid of the dark
Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway Event is now on at Blackstone Motors Drada Dundalk and Cavan. Save thousands across the range for the new year. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.